Hey, this is Nate with Purity for Life. If you haven't already heard the big news, here it is. On April 1st, we will be officially changing the name of this podcast to the Pure Life Ministries Podcast. If you're subscribed, you don't need to do anything on your end except be on the lookout for some new album art and our new name. If you aren't subscribed, Now would be a great time to do that so that you don't need to remember to find us under our new name, the Pure Life Ministries Podcast. Once we roll out the Pure Life Ministries Podcast, I'll be explaining why we made this change and announce some other changes coming that I think you'll really find to be a blessing. All of that will happen when we release our first episode on April 1st under the new name, the Pure Life Ministries Podcast. All right, that's it for now. Here's the episode. He is more radical than we can imagine. And so you start looking at this radical Jesus that's in the scriptures and the gospels, and you start seeing this depth of him, this wonder of him. And you can't really look at the biblical Jesus and stay the same. Because when you look at him and you start seeing him as this God that is beyond anything you've imagined, you have to give a response. He either had people that were falling at his feet in repentance or wanting to kill him. Scripture warns that in the last days, there will be antichrists, which will lead many astray. Without a clear understanding of who Jesus is, we can easily be deceived, and we will never become the disciples we were meant to be in this fallen world. Thanks again for joining us on Purity for Life. This week, we take a short break from our victory series to speak with Glenn Meldrum, the author of The Radical Jesus. He'll challenge us to abandon false conceptions of a tame Jesus and to know him as he truly is, radical in every way. This is Purity for Life. Stay with us. As we already mentioned, we're taking a short break from our series, Victory, to speak with Glenn Meldrum. Glenn is a longtime friend of our ministry and author of the book, The Radical Jesus. We trust that this show will be a blessing to you and will bring you into a deeper and more intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. All right, let's get to the interview that Patrick Hudson did with Glenn Meldrum. Glenn, thanks for joining us today. Um, Glad to be here. To talk about your book. I just wanted to start off with um, not everybody listening or watching may know about you, about your ministry. So would you be willing to just start off by sharing a little bit of your testimony and how the Lord saved you? No problem. Um, I was a hippie, so had long hair at one time and just lived a party. That was my whole purpose of living. And it wasn't like I was doing a bunch of violent crime or anything else. I did a little bit of dealing drugs just to help keep me high, but I just wanted to party. That was it. Mm -hmm. And so I really wasn't looking for Jesus. And I was in a park, and it would have been sometime in September on a Saturday, and it was noon. I was there waiting for friends to come to the park to begin to party. And uh, all of a sudden... I had a divine encounter. And so God just broke in my world right there at that time, and I was instantly delivered from drugs, alcohol, and smoking. I was changed from the inside out. 
The next night, I hitchhiked out to a Jesus Freak church, and this would have been during the Jesus movement. And mm -hmm. uh, just that was the beginning of everything. I was raised Catholic, so I ended up in a uh, church that was a truly spirit-filled church, and the power of God was there. The presence of God was there in, in such a tangible way. The place was packed with standing room only and chairs, uh, folding chairs everywhere. They could stick one any place, mm -hmm. and there wouldn't even be an empty seat because everybody that was coming, uh, if they came a little later, they would be put in whatever open seat mm -hmm. there was. And the power was there. It was just, I was so privileged to be saved in a genuine move of God, to see the power of God, to see miracles yeah. and signs and wonders and, and that. And so that's where I met my wife. And so she was saved when she was 16. And the place was just packed with young people. I mean, it was just, it was just a tremendous experience. Uh, when I was 24 years old, my wife and I went to the streets of Detroit and we pioneered a church. And it really wasn't even an effort to try and pioneer a church. Mm -hmm. It was just wanting to reach the loss, just had a passion to reach the loss. And so we went and got a building and I was doing concerts on Saturday nights, bringing Christian bands in from, you know, probably a, a tri-state area, but even as far as California and that. So we had them come from different uh, areas. And that was a, a twofold purpose of trying to give Christians something to do mm -hmm. on the weekend, but also just trying to reach the loss. Another venue, uh, another, if you might word it like that, language in way to speak to people that they might hear. Mm -hmm. And then the preaching of the gospel was always there. We always gave altar calls, always called people to repentance and, mm -hmm. and that. So before I knew it, it was a church. I had all these people getting saved, and I was a 24-year-old pastor. You know, I'm going, what in the world? And right. uh, I was actually scared to death when the knowledge yeah. came to me. And God did that because he went and says, these aren't yours. Wow. They belong to me, and I'm going to hold you accountable. And I'll tell you what, I went through a time of some terror with that knowledge uh -huh. and that. But yeah, I pastored there 12 years, resigned the church, basically out of burnout. I was just okay. burning the candle at both ends. The hours I was putting in was just outrageous. And so I resigned and went into grad school to get a master's in theology and church history and okay. philosophy and uh, pastored a Romanian church during that time, which was just a phenomenal experience. Hmm. And uh, then ended up pastoring a church in Wisconsin, and uh, then God called me as an evangelist. And I won't go through the whole story because it gets involved. But I wasn't looking for it. I didn't want it. Just like I wasn't looking to pastor. I had no desire to pastor. Mm -hmm. And next thing I know, that's what I was. And when he does that, he captures your heart and you can't mm -hmm. get out. You're there. And so the same thing happened with being an evangelist. So when he called me, I wasn't looking for it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Brownsville Revival had just started. And so it was like the perfect time for me to become an evangelist because the ministry of the evangelist became very popular. And so mm -hmm. my ministry just like exploded mm -hmm. and that. And uh, so for the last 25 years, I've been an evangelist and been preaching, live in an RV uh, all those years, just constantly traveling. And uh, in the midst of it, I really didn't want to write books. And so I wrote, okay. I've wrote three books. The first book I wrote was on revival and I've read hundreds and hundreds of books on revival. It's called Run the Heavens. And I didn't want to write a book on revival, but out of all that I've read, I saw some things lacking that wasn't okay. there um, in the books. And so I wanted to make a very thorough account of what it is so mm -hmm. that people could look at it and understand in very simple terms what revival is and how it comes. And then I wrote you know, my second book, uh, Rescue Me, which is really just the cry of my own life of a desire to become more like Jesus. 
But then this book, The Radical Jesus, which was just a passion out of my life, just seeing the church culture so compromised. Uh-huh. And at the core of compromise is always a low view of God. And so this low view of God has altered who the real Jesus is, the biblical Jesus. And so we made a tame Jesus that is just there to be our good buddy to sit down and have a latte with, basically. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he's a good guy and he's not bothered by our sin because, hey, we're saved by grace Mm -hmm. type of thing. And so this was really an investigation into the radical Jesus, the biblical Jesus. And when you look at Jesus in the Gospels, he was the most dangerous man this world has ever known. I mean, God incarnate in flesh and blood, you know, the the God who breathes stars out of his mouth and he becomes human. And people don't understand the dynamic of what this was. And yet you see this God that is more scary than we could ever imagine, yet more loving and tender than we could ever conceive of. And so this was this Jesus that broke into our world, and he was radical. Everything about him, everything, that God would become human is radical. That he would do it the way that he did it in being conceived in the womb of a woman and being born through natural childbirth, and that whole process is just radical, that God would do such a thing. I think we just don't really fathom just how astounding it is And what happens is with our small, our low view of God, we don't stand in awe of him, Mm -hmm. and then we don't walk holy before him as a result. So the grace that was given to us through what Jesus did on the cross that should revolutionize our lives, we have turned it into something very ugly that lets us justify our sin and live in compromise and worldliness, Mm -hmm. which, if we look at the Word of God, is totally hostile Mm -hmm. to this Jesus that broke in our world. Wow. So the whole point of your book is to get at this um, person of Jesus for who he was presented in the Bible in a reality and not what we've conceived of him in our culture. And you said that just in your own experience that you've seen how the church has been washing down him, that you can get a latte with him, or I think of the Jesus is my homeboy um, meme that's out there and just how that takes out the reverence of God. And so could you talk a little bit more about what you've seen our church culture do to Jesus and what you're trying to present in this book? Well, you know, the book, The Radical Jesus, isn't anything new. It's just how it's worded. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't like using the word radical Mm -hmm. because, you know, it has so much baggage with it. So, you know, you have all these radical uh, movements that are of this world and Mm -hmm. even that which would come from hell. And so the word I didn't like, but yet I didn't know any other word Hmm. that would describe Jesus, that would help us to comprehend who he was. And so in the end, as I was putting the thoughts together and developing this book, I came just to see that the word radical was probably the best I could come up with. But yet his radical nature is not like we normally think of radical. So we usually put radical in this extreme, and I'd probably say even religious or ungodly uh, expressions of it, rather than this radical holiness, purity, divinity Hmm. that we can't even understand how it works. And so I guess when I went to grad school and to get my master's, I really just wanted a master's in theology because I Mm -hmm. love theology. 
And, you know, you have some of the most boring writers in the world that have wrote theology. And, you know, it's sad because you have the most exciting being that there is. And they should be writing things that are so exciting. That's why I like Tozer. You know, he Mm -hmm. has a a, a living theology that Mm -hmm. is, is real. And you can tell a man that's been with God. But, you know, I'm going to grad school to get my master's in theology. And supposedly I'm supposed to be mastering something. Uh Uh-huh. And the total opposite happened. You know, I thought I had a pretty good handle on theology, and I'm supposedly mastering this thing and finding how ignorant I was of this mm-hmm. God, that that you dig in a little bit, and with each question that is answered, you have a thousand more questions. Mm. You know, it's just, he gets bigger. And, huh. you know, so you look more intently at him, and he gets bigger. Mm-hmm. And it brings you to the point, finally, where you start to see the mystery of God. And, you know, that's part of the problem that we can have with so much doctrine today is that we have doctrine that tries to figure God out and put him in a box. And so we have this nice little concept of God that is safe for us, but this God's not safe. Mm -hmm. And he is more radical than we can imagine and more disturbing. When you look at the Gospels, there's nobody more disturbing that this world has ever known than Jesus. I mean, he looks at you and he's piercing your soul. He's disturbing you from the inside out. You know, mm. it does a miracle of a catch of fish and Peter is falling on his knees before him saying, depart from me. Mm. I'm a sinful man. And you know what, a bunch of smelly fish did that? Mm. No, it was a, a sliver of the divinity of Christ broke yeah. through the veil of his of wow. his humanity and pierced this man's heart. And I just can't imagine what that would be. I'd love to have been there and to walked with him and seen him in that setting, but yet I'd be afraid what would be there, what he'd reveal, you know, what he'd have to deal with. And so you start looking at this radical Jesus that's in the scriptures and in the, in the gospels, and you start seeing this depth of him, this wonder of him. And so I went through chapter by chapter, bringing out various aspects of the radical nature of Christ as revealed hmm. in Scripture and that. And uh, the problem that you have is when you begin to look at Jesus mm-hmm. and you start seeing him as he's revealed in the Word of God, then you have that problem of what do I do with him now? Hmm. What does this mean? And you can't really look at the biblical Jesus and stay the same. Mm-hmm. Because when you look at him and you start seeing him as this God that is beyond anything you've imagined, you have to give a response. And so you're either going to do what they did back then. And so when you look at Jesus, he'd be speaking to a multitude. And uh, you'd have two responses from people. And he didn't leave people in the middle. Mm -hmm. He either had people that were falling at his feet in repentance Mm -hmm. or wanting to kill him. Same message, same Jesus, same Holy Spirit working. Hmm but two radically different responses. And that's what this does. The radical Jesus, when we begin to look at him, we're either going to love him or hate him. Mm -hmm. We're either going to want to cling to him and become more like him, Mm -hmm. or we're going to go in the opposite direction and say, well, that's just fanatical or extreme or anything else. Well, if it's extreme, then prove it. I mean, that's really what it comes down to be is we can read something like this and say, well, you know, I don't know if that's the way it is. Well, then give me biblical evidence. Mm demonstrate to me through the Word of God that what has been shared is unbiblical. And if you can't, then you are forced to either say, I don't want that, mm-hmm. or what must I do? What must I do? Like it says yeah. in Scripture, what must I do to be saved? Right. What must I do to live this out? 
And uh, so that's really what is the application is there in the book as well. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do with this Jesus? Hmm. So one of the things in the book that I really love is the parable that God gave me. Okay. And the parable was something that was spontaneously given me once while preaching. I mean, it was just, I'm preaching and it just came. And then I started incorporating it in various sermons. And the parable is of a deformed man. And that is really of a deformed child. Mm -hmm. And so what it is, you have this valley that is hidden from the world. And it's surrounded by these humongous mountains and nobody has Mm -hmm. gotten out of the valley and nobody has come into the valley. Mm -hmm. And so these people have lived there generation after generation and developed their own culture without any outside influence. And that's what they came to understand was normal. And so that's what they lived out. They looked at one another and they were all normal and they lived a normal life. But then one day this terrible, terrible thing happened. And uh, this couple had a child Mm -hmm. and the child was deformed. So deformed, so ugly that the parents were appalled and the people of the villages wanted to kill the child because they thought it was curse of the gods. Mm. But yet the child survived and lived. And as it grew, it grew more ugly, more horrifying. The people were more appalled by this baby that became a child, that became a teenager, that eventually became a man. And finally, at one particular time, it reaches the height of tension and stress, and the people couldn't take anymore, and they fell upon this deformed man, and they killed him, Hmm. thinking that this, this ugly, horrifying man once he was dead, would be out of their minds and out of their life. Hmm. But it was just the opposite. And you see, this deformed man was Jesus. Mm -hmm. And the people of that valley were actually the ones that were deformed. So they were a people, an ancient people that had hunchbacks, and they were all twisted in various ways, and their faces and limbs and everything else, and this twistedness of them they thought normal. Mm -hmm. And they looked at one another, and they patted each other on the back because they were all normal, Mm -hmm. but they weren't normal. Mm -hmm. And when a normal child came into this world, the only normal child this world has ever truly known, they hated him because that perfect child exposed their twistedness, how perverted they were, how altered, how how wicked they really were, and they hated him because of that, and they wanted to silence him. Mm-hmm. But of course, we know that Jesus died on the cross, and he wasn't going to be silenced. You cannot silence the voice of God. There was no silencing him or the Spirit of God. He rose again triumphant, ascended to the right hand of the Father, absolute victor. And so all those who wanted to silence him utterly, completely, and absolutely failed at their agenda. And uh, the, the race of mankind is horrifically deformed, monstrously mm-hmm. deformed, and we don't even understand it because that's all we see. We look at millions and billions of people that are all deformed, all twisted, some worse than others, but all of them deformed. Mm-hmm. We are not what we are created to be. Mm-hmm. And the thing is this deformity is not natural because mm-hmm. it is self-inflicted. Mm-hmm. We did it to ourselves. And we perpetuate it, we continue it. And the only remedy for anything to become normal, for us to have any kind of normal life, is to look at Jesus and let this normal Mm -hmm. God-man that broke in our world begin to transform us. And so really, as we look at each of the chapters, what you end up getting is 
uh, a picture of mm-hmm. the normal Jesus okay. because Jesus was, as a human being, normal. There was nobody more normal than him. Mm-hmm. You look at Jesus, you see what mankind was made to be. Mm-hmm. And when you look at him, that is what we are to be. Mm-hmm. But we got a problem. We're sinners. We're rebels. We're twisted. We're deformed. We don't even know what normal is. So how do we get normal? Because if we look at each other, we're not going to get normal because all we're going to do is copy the deformities of somebody else. So we have to look at Jesus. And so when we look at him, and in that book, when you look at him, you see this normal person that is beyond our ability to live, but here's where the true grace of God Mm -hmm. comes in. Because when we cry out to him, he is untwisting us. Mm -hmm. So the whole concept of salvation, we could put it in terms of he is slowly untwisting us, slowly making us more normal. Mm -hmm. And uh, the more we get to be like Jesus, Jesus went and said that because they hated me, they will hate Mm -hmm. you. So when the mark of God is upon us, the character Mm -hmm. of Christ is upon us, the world will begin to hate those Mm -hmm. who are true followers of him Mm -hmm. because of that. Hmm. I appreciate that you You've mentioned a couple times that kind of the chapter breakdown and you just talked about, I'd never kind of thought of it that way. Your chapter titles are, you know, the radical truth, radical holiness, radical prayer, radical faith, radical discipleship. Um, But each one is really just a look at Mm -hmm. Jesus Mm -hmm. and who he was. Um, Could you just kind of for people watching and listening, highlight one of those chapters and bring out um, how you do that? Well, um, I would go to my favorite. Okay. <laughs> and the reason why it's my favorite is because I really do believe that it was a revelation from God. Okay. Not something that is like the spooky thing and you're getting this extra biblical information. It's right. just the Word of God opened up to me. I just saw something I'd never mm-hmm. saw before, and it's radical abiding. Hmm. And um, when you look at Jesus... And you see what Jesus uh, does and how he lives, that he could make such astounding statements. This is God incarnate. Make the astounding statement that whatever the Father tells me to say, I say. Whatever whatever he tells me to do, I do. Mm -hmm. And in one place he says, it's not just that he tells me what to say, but how to say it. Mm -hmm. So that to the the children, he'd take them in his arms and bless them sweetly. And to the scribes Mm -hmm. and Pharisees, he would say, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, Mm -hmm. hypocrites. Both of them perfectly led and ordained by the Mm -hmm. Father, Jesus in perfect submission. And so how does that work? And if we want to understand abiding, we can't look at each other. Mm -hmm. We have to look at Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so you get to Philippians chapter 2, and it talks about his great self-emptying, where he emptied himself. And there's a lot of bad theology here, where sometimes they end up saying that he emptied himself of his divinity. Mm -hmm. Can't be. That's impossible. God cannot cease being God, because if he ceases in any dimension of being God, then he's not God. That means he's changeable. So this God that is unchangeable was unchangeable when he took upon flesh and blood. So what happened there? There's a mystery that we're not going to understand, okay? So it goes beyond our ability to comprehend, but yet what we can understand is that somehow the divinity of Christ was veiled in human flesh. So he never ceased being God. Jesus was fully human and fully Mm -hmm. divine. Mm -hmm. But what he did when he became human, he laid aside his right to operate in his divine rights as God. 
So when you look at Jesus, when he does a miracle, he doesn't do a miracle in the name of the Father. He never prays to the Father to do the miracle. When he raises Lazarus from the dead, he prays in a way so that people would hear him, not mm -hmm. in doing the miracle, but in pointing to the Father. Right. And so everything that he did, all the miracles he did was through his power as God, okay. but they were totally in submission to him. Hmm. So Jesus goes to the pool of Siloam, and here you have all these people around this pagan uh -huh. pool uh, having a pagan belief about what would go on, that if the waters was troubled, somebody would get healed. Mm -hmm. And so they're all waiting for this. And he goes past all these blind and lame and hurting people mm -hmm. to one man. Mm -hmm. and only one man. In the wisdom of God, I can't even explain that. But he right. went to that one man and healed only yeah. that one man and left. That was in total, complete, and perfect submission to the Father's will. The Father says, go there, son, raise that one man up. Wow. And that's what he did. And so he could obey perfectly because he was in perfect abiding with the Father, perfect unity and fellowship. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean for us? Right. Yeah. It's the same thing. If we are going to learn what it is that Jesus told us to abide in him as he abides in the Father, because that's exactly how he referred to it, that our abiding in him must be as he abides in the Father, mm -hmm. then we have to learn this place of giving up our rights, surrendering our rights, our will, our wants, our ambitions, are willing to try to hear him more mm -hmm. and obey him as quickly as we can, mm -hmm. to dwell in that place of true surrender mm -hmm. and abandonment. But this thing is a lifelong pursuit. For Jesus, it was complete in him because of who he was. Right. For us, we're in this work of transformation and the sanctifying yeah. work of the Spirit. So it's, it's that we should always be getting better at it mm -hmm. as time goes on. That it should be this thing that day by day, year by year, mm -hmm. we grow a little bit more like mm -hmm. Jesus. And when we don't, when we see that we're not like him, when that mm -hmm. old deformed self-life is coming out of us, then we understand that there is mm -hmm. this tremendous and wonderful gift he's mm -hmm. given us called repentance. Yeah. And so through repentance, we are forgiven, but not just forgiven. Um, we are a little bit, each mm -hmm. time of true repentance, transformed a little mm -hmm. bit more to be like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so that is probably my favorite chapter, okay. just because it meant so much to me as God unfolding this huh. uh, to me. Yeah. You mentioned about your book earlier, Rescue Me, how it came out of a cry that was going on inside of you and how that came out of your really a testimony of what the Lord was working in you. And I've seen that when I listen to Pastor Steve talk and hear what's really important to him and how that really comes out of the books he's written. And I think when I read a lot of old-time Christian authors, it seems like the things they're writing about aren't just theology or doctrine, but it's testimony. It's something that the Lord really made real to them. And so when it comes to the radical Jesus, I know you said that um, part of it came out of looking at the condition of the church, but how has it also been birthed out of what the Lord has been working in your heart personally? Well, Rescue Me was something I wrote just out of my own personal struggle as a human being and a man wanting to walk with Jesus. And um, Rescue Me comes out of Romans 7 about the struggle, you know, who will rescue me mm -hmm. from this body of death? In essence, who will rescue me from me? And so that was a look at, at that. And when I came to the radical Jesus, I think the thing that really was the impetus in helping me to write the book was the parable. 
Okay. And my original desire was to write a a short story and then out of the short story to go into the application, which is okay. what's in the Radical Jesus. The problem is, as I tried to write that, and I'm not a great writer, you know, I mean, those okay. have books have been edited, so they're a lot better, but I just couldn't pull it off. You know, okay. you, you start writing this, and you're not trying to make it so obvious that it's Jesus, uh -huh. but you start getting deeper into it, and you can't get away from it, yeah. you know, and then you get complications, and, you know, you know, the virgin birth, how do you deal with that? And I mean, just, mm -hmm. you know, it just got bogged down, and so I just couldn't do it. Okay. And, you know, uh, maybe somebody who is a very good author of fiction could, uh -huh. uh, but I wasn't able to. But yet that is really kind of what compelled me was that looking at the radical Jesus and then seeing how that applies to life and just my thinking process. You know, when I'm in prayer, it's not just always praying. It's There's a lot of thought that goes there. And mm -hmm. so I think a lot about some things. And so there was much thought that was put into this and just built until the time I felt to to write it. I don't think there'll be another book that I'll write. You never know, but I don't think okay. so. Just because sometimes people can get too repetitive. Mm -hmm. And uh, so my first book, uh, Ren the Heavens, is very different than the other books. And I feel I've kind of exhausted my creativity with it. Okay. And so... Uh, so that's kind of why I stopped at this point. Okay. But it does have a particular voice in a different way than Rescue Me, mm -hmm. uh, the radical Jesus, because it is really just looking at Jesus mm -hmm. and then giving how are we to respond. Mm -hmm. Right. What would you hope if someone was reading this would be their response on what would that look like? Well, if they're going to really give a right response to it, then they have the obligation to begin to say, how do I live this out? Uh-huh. What does it look like? And that's really what it comes down to be. When we look at the Gospels and you have no other book and you just look at the Gospels, you have to respond to what's there. You have to mm -hmm. respond to what has been revealed to us. And so what does that look like? What does it look like to be Christ-like? Um, you know, you go in the writings of Paul and that we're to be imitators of God as dearly loved children or as children that are dearly loved of God. So we become adoring children looking at him and doing what an adoring child would do is try and copy, try and mimic, mm -hmm. try and say, how do I become like that? And the challenge is our sinful nature, this, mm -hmm. this twistedness that's in us. So we're going to have this constant battle and having to go back to this again and again. Now, when we die or with Jesus, it's done. The work is finished. You know, No more old sinful nature, the new life perfected beyond what we could ever even imagine. Mm -hmm. you know, And so I, I think even when we think of heaven, we can't even comprehend how great that would be because right. we don't have a point of reference to right. it. Sometimes we try and make heaven just kind of a glorified earth, but it's not. It's something mm -hmm. totally different. It's wow. beyond our understanding. And so what we're given is just a little glimpse of it that we might think and dwell on it and long for something right. that'd be so much more beautiful. The Christ-likeness will be complete in us, the mark of God on our life. Hmm. And that's really what it is. It's it's the mark of God. Yeah. And, you know, you look in Scripture and you have this thing in the book of Revelation of the mark of the beast. And really, what does that come down to be? You can speak of the number and all that and what it means, and I'll leave that for you to figure out. But the real thing is it's a mark of character, that those who have yeah. that mark become like Satan, 
Satan-like, twisted, a perversion of what they were meant to be to be like Christ. Mm -hmm. Now they're just so much like Satan. But what is it to be for Christians? The mark of God's character on us. And so we are to bear that mark, that people look at us and they are seeing Jesus in us. And that's not just a cliche, it is to be the reality of it, that the world would be able to look at us. And I guarantee you, the devil knows who belongs to Jesus. I guarantee you that spiritual mark is upon every person, but it needs to become so real, so evident in us Mm -hmm. that the world can begin to see it, Mm -hmm. that people can see it. Mm -hmm. And so that's that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our life to make us more and more like Jesus. And we have to struggle through that. Mm -hmm. And we have to have a pure heart that really wants it. We have Mm -hmm. to be broken of self and our own self-will and just so weary of that that we're just saying, I don't want to be what I've been. You know, I want to to be what he created me to be. And and it's kind of strange that years ago, I can't remember how long ago it's been now, but once I was in prayer and just sick of me, you know, it might have even been while I was writing the the book Rescue Me, and just uh, a prayer came out, says, God, I'm tired of being a brat. I just want to be a good son. And really, that yeah. is something I pray very often, just as yeah. cry. I just want to bring joy to your heart. I just oh. want to be a good son. And so that's what it is we learn. You know, we learn from studying the scriptures and those books that are worthwhile reading. There's a lot of books that aren't. Right. But uh, the few books that are really worthwhile reading um, are the ones that we should be looking at mm-hmm. and saying, God, how do I become a good son? We trust that you've been blessed by this episode and challenged to get to know the real Jesus. If you'd like to purchase a copy of Glenn's book, The Radical Jesus, it's available on our web store at store.purelifeministries.org, or you can find it on Amazon. And one last thing before we go, as you know, our desire is to help professing Christians walk in true freedom from sexual sin and in a deep and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We do that in numerous ways, whether it's through our counseling programs, books, podcasts, or video series. And if this podcast has helped you and you'd like to receive even more content from us, please consider subscribing to our Narrow Way e-newsletter. Each month, you'll receive insightful and relevant articles. You'll receive links to videos. You'll receive ministry announcements and updates that will keep you updated about things going on here at Pure Life. You can sign up for that by visiting purelifeministries.org slash enews. That's it for this week. Next week, we'll get back into our series, Victory, and we'll begin looking at how to apply everything that we've been learning. Thanks for joining us on Purity for Life. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.